Good day, everyone. My name is Stefan Pretorius, the Chief Technology Officer for WPP, and it is my pleasure today to welcome you to WPP's Metaverse and More Academy podcast, where we'll be discussing a wide range of Metaverse and Web3 related topics with experts from the WPP network and special guests from the industry at large. As we cover both established concepts and track new developments in the space, we hope this series is informational and inspirational. Thank you for coming on the journey with us. Please sit back and enjoy another exciting discussion about the metaverse and more. Yes, welcome to this episode of the Metaverse and More podcast, where we cover all topics metaverse and related. I am your host for this week, Andy Hood. I'm Vice President of Emerging Technologies at WPP. Now, in this episode, we are going to be talking about things such as virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, all the realities. Um, virtual worlds, Web3, NFTs, and if any of that is stuff that you are not completely comfortable or familiar with, then I would refer you back to Season 1 of the Metaverse and More podcast, where we covered a whole bunch of introductory topics on all of those things uh, to get you up to date and familiar enough to be able to work with and apply these technologies. In Season 2, we are looking to look at specific uh, more granular applications of these tools, technologies, and platforms in specific areas, in this case, health and pharma. And to do that, we have two uh, fantastic guests from the agency GCI Health, and they are Kristen Ryan, who is the Executive Vice President and U.S. Head of Digital Innovation. Hi there, Kristen. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. No worries. And we have Liana Huber, who is the Vice President for Digital. Hi there, Liana. Hey, Andy. Good to have you both here. And Kristen, could you just, before we start, give us a little bit of uh, info about GCI Health and, and your own background with it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm Kristen Mengel-Ryan. Um, I lead our U.S. Uh, digital and innovation capability at GCI Health. Uh, GCI Health is a global healthcare communications company within the WPP family. We've been around for decades and we work closely with major pharmaceutical companies, biopharma companies, as well as wellness uh, corporations to help them set their communication strategy and reach all key stakeholders. I personally have worked in digital and quote innovation my entire career. Um, I've always been drawn to shifts in communication experience and specifically in the healthcare space uh, from the earlier days of, you know, behavioral support programs uh, through email marketing to iVisades on the earliest tablets to social media. Um, so we're really excited to be here to talk about, you know, the next phase of the internet and, and how that impacts uh, our communication strategies. Awesome. And Liana, what path has led you to the doorways of the metaverse? <laughs> yeah, I, I work at GCI with Kristen, obviously. And in healthcare, there's always a myth that, um, you know, pharma has to be very far behind everyone else in the industry. And when we saw, you know, all the news coming out about uh, Zuckerberg changing the name of Facebook to Meta and um, the NFT boom of last year, we were really thinking, you know, we need to be able to have a strategy for our clients and we need to be able to have a um, POV on what healthcare, how healthcare can interact in this new space and in this new world. And overall, personally, I just found it fascinating. So 
Um, it was great to be able to marry what we were doing for work with what I find, you know, personally just very interesting. Yeah, and just to build off of that, I mean, in Q4 of 2021, when that announcement was made, I personally was out on mat leave and I couldn't help myself but like pay attention to, you know, tweet deck and what was going on in industry and in tech. And some agencies were putting out, you know, thoughts around what the metaverse means generally. But when I got back in January, I noticed there was a major white space for healthcare. And Leanna and I partnered very quickly and started to do, you know, the work and doing the research and figuring out what our point of view was for healthcare. Um, and we've been working really closely with platform partners, um, with industry partners, as well as clients to figure out you know, what this could mean for them. Um, we went on a kind of a, a road show uh, with our clients and, and an education road show, an industry road show in terms of panels and things like that. And, you know, we've seen a lot of traction and we're really excited about the enthusiasm and, and shifting into more of this building phase of the metaverse. Fantastic. And, and Liana, Kristen said there that there was a bit of a, a, a blank space for um, the health sector in this space and you'd previously said that the farmer is kind of regarded as being slightly behind the curve have you found it to be um, uh, an early adopter in these new spaces or has it been quite hard work you know we've actually surprisingly found pharma clients to be really eager to get going in this new space and really primed to do so a lot of our clients are already in, you know, what we consider the metaverse um, without even really knowing it. A lot okay. of them are already using due to um, restrictions from COVID. They had to find virtual reality um, and remote solutions for onboarding new employees for training, um, you know, Salesforce and creating solutions to reach HCPs when you couldn't actually be there in person. So we found that they had a lot of the technology in place. It was just reaching the marketing side of the business and kind of explaining, you know, there's so much value in creating an infrastructure to create these digital interactions and facilitate these digital experiences for the next wave of the internet, like we mentioned. Gotcha. So Kristen, getting into uh, the health sector then, at a high level, what do you see as the, the top three or four opportunities for kind of metaverse-related areas in the sector? Yeah, um, I would say, number one, I think community building. So a lot of our pharma companies, they have patient communities in Web2, if you will, already, um, and exploring ways to sort of expand that to drive deeper connection for those patients and offer more education and utility um, and also give them opportunities to focus on, you know, their unique identity through creativity in Web3 is definitely a, a really great place to meet patients. Uh, for physicians, uh, we see a huge opportunity at medical meetings, uh, different ways to share, uh, you know, important milestones in data, uh, as well as, you know, history of your company and, and um you know, visualizing things and immersing people in your story. So on that community uh, area, we see community and, and loyalty programs being a bit of a growth area for Web3. And we see things like Starbucks uh, with their Odyssey program and Yves Saint Laurent. And these are communities that are based on 
kind of passions and, and hobbies and interests, you know, coffee, fashion, and you see them around sport, music, but actually a, a community uh, in a, in a farmer, in a health context means something very different, but it's still very valid, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Patient communities are, are, are thriving on social web. Um, you know, people do find each other, um, you know, when you're diagnosed with something, it can all, it can be very isolating if you don't know anyone else who has the condition that you have. Platforms have been made to solve for that. Um, a lot of WPP partnerships are with some of these, you know, patient um, community platforms. Uh, we've seen pharma companies actually sponsor some of these communities and, you know, these patient advocates really work to make other patients around the country and around the world feel less alone. Um, over the last two years, it's certainly been, you know, very much a virtual relationship. Um, sometimes we try to bring them in person as well, if possible, uh, considering the, the condition that the folks have. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are, there are so many ways to offer value and make people feel, you know, improve their patient experience through community building. Yeah, and I'll just add to that. Yeah, community's huge. And it's interesting that, you know, you bring up Starbucks as an example, Andy, because what we're seeing in healthcare, like Kristen mentioned, is there's a bit of a chicken and an egg situation right now. There's, if there's an existing community, and we want to move that community to the digital sphere or there's an existing digital community and we want to up-level it. Or if there's a community like a certain rare disease population that has not previously been able to connect and we have a new solution to be able to connect people across geographies, that's a way we can create, you know, new community online. So community is huge. I feel like we've said the word 18 times, but <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's all different opportunities. Um, but you know, the most important thing that we do like to tell clients is you do have to start with community. It's really not a, if you build it, they will come scenario. You have to have a group, um, that, you know, is either already engaged or looking for a place to have that engagement. And do you see, um, virtual worlds, either existing ones or ones that might be created as places where those people would come together and meet um, and, you know, get to know each other. And would they be meeting primarily, is the benefit of it them meeting each other or is this um, equally a place perhaps for pharma or doctors or whoever to come there and meet them too? You know, I think there's opportunity for both. And the role of our clients and of us as communicators and partners is figuring out the appropriate place for each interaction. So, you know, if you think you're just diagnosed with something or your loved one is, you're immediately looking for, well, what do I do? And you do want that professional informed opinion. So that's maybe where the role of official resources comes in from um, a pharma company or, you know, a healthcare provider. Then you can think about, okay, maybe you're, you're in treatment or you're in the middle of a, a symptom comes up, something comes up that's unexpected. You think, is this just me? Am I the only one going through this? That's where seeing a, another person who's gone through this too can be so comforting and you can, um, you know, really connect with others to see this is, you know, this is okay that this is happening to me. This is normal. So yes, it's um, important to to see that 
when you have a client that's looking to engage, there's a appropriate time and place for both the professional opinion and for connecting with others and hearing those patient stories. So when you're first diagnosed, that might be a time where you're looking for the professional resources, the official opinions of healthcare providers and experts. And that's a time where our clients can really come to the table and provide resources in a way that's accessible for people in a digital space. Another time you might be looking for, hey, something's happening to me that I don't understand. Is this normal? How do you feel about this? How are you know t- you talking to your friends and family about this? And that's a time where you might want to connect with another patient or caregiver that's gone through something similar. And so that's a case where you know the the pharma company maybe shouldn't be involved in that conversation. And so it's all about finding that that um, that easy space where you know you're facilitating the right kind of connections for people in the community, but you're not. Um, controlling it or looking like big brother, like you're overseeing the space. It's all about kind of enabling these connections um, and being helpful and providing value, but letting them kind of grow organically from what people want and need. And that's so much of what we see in the metaverse, right, Andy, is that it's a very collaborative space where the people that are involved in the community want to help build it and grow it. Absolutely. And and Kristen, when we're talking about um, participation and collaboration, those uh, previous uh, examples of community that are brought up, the Starbucks, Eve Saint Laurent, and the, the many others that will grow from here, uh, they seem to be springing up because of the Web3 approach to community is very much more participatory and active um, than the Web2 version of community, if you like. Do you see that being relevant uh, to, these, uh, to these more medical communities that we're, we're talking about now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of these patient communities are very, um, you know, robust and they have lively uh, participants that are very eager to evolve. I mean, they're very loyal to their communities and they're very eager to evolve them um, and, you know, see what's next. They have very important conversations within these communities, for sure. I mean, to Leanna's point, I mean, they talk about things that people may not be comfortable talking about with other people in person. Um, if you are having an in-real-life, you know, support group, you may not want to talk about how your intimacy is affected because of your condition. But online, you may, you could facilitate that conversation and offer some sort of anonymity if necessary. Um, so I just, I think there are so many reasons why, um, bringing these communities into web three could, you know, improve the patient experience and also help them through their patient journey. You said something very interesting there about the, um, the kind of consultations that people may have and perhaps, um, the, uh, the benefit of, of some anonymity in that conversation. That brings me to thinking about digital humans with uh-huh. that ability to have a conversation about a sensitive subject with a human looking chatbot effectively, but obviously it's very sophisticated in a judgment free zone. Do you see those things uh, starting to happen or having the potential to happen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can use simulation uh, to help people rehearse for a conversation that they're not comfortable have, having with a physician, you know. Like I've heard 
years years ago, having simulations around, you know, the, the ED conversation with your physician. You may not want to have it, but like practice it, talk it out before you actually have it. Um, Leanne also worked on a program recently, uh, an experiential program where, you know, she offered tools to people who have a specific condition to, you know, practice doing things that they need to do in the real world and build the confidence to do that. She can speak to that a bit more. Yeah, it's a it's a great combination, this specific program of simulation and also play. Uh, we when we hear about the metaverse, people automatically think about video games a lot of the time because the video game industry, of course, has leveraged um, these kind of immersive technologies a lot longer and a lot more um, in depth than some other industries. But we actually created a program where you could simulate, like Kristen mentioned, um, doing these basic things that these patients will need to do as they progress in their disease journey and also just get older and grow up and become more independent. Um, and so they're able to learn by thinking, oh, you know, I would have never thought I would need to make an appointment with the dean of my school to talk about my specific education plan. Um, and then they also are in an environment where it's kind of like, you know, The Sims, and they get to click around and explore. Um, and instead of just kind of being passive and watching a video, for example, or reading a pamphlet, um, it's interactive. And we use that word a lot, but this kind of uh, this kind of activity really is interactive because they get to make choices and in a choose your own adventure kind of environment, get to navigate through some of these situations that they will one day probably encounter in the real world. So there's learning as a part of it. There's practice, there's confidence building, but there's also play and you're in a, an environment that's safe and you can fail without having, you know, really serious consequences. And we think those are some of the really positive, exciting things of this metaverse technology that we can create those safe spaces for people. Absolutely. There's a great uh, example of a digital human conversation on the World Health Organization uh, website with Florence, who helps people um, quit smoking um, in a kind of a judgment-free zone. And apparently they doubled it up during the pandemic to debunk COVID myths so that someone could ask, you know, is COVID uh, being given to us all by 5G masks? And that would be debunked and explained without the person having to uh, lay themselves open to all sorts of ridicule. So these sensitive subjects actually probably happen more in the health sector than anywhere else, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you bring up avatars or um, your virtual representation of yourself, and you not only can have anonymity, but you can choose how to present yourself and what part of yourself you want to bring forward. So especially in healthcare, think about people that have these um, conditions that affect what they look like, that affect how they physically are able to move around the world in a metaverse environment, they're not necessarily going to be restricted by those things. And they can choose if that's part of the identity that they want to bring forward. And maybe it is, but they have the choice. And then there's also people with what we talk about invisible conditions where they have a chronic condition, they have um, you know, something that's not manifested on the outside, but they really are suffering and going through a lot on the inside, even though you'd walk by them on the street and have no idea. There's all kinds of interesting things we could do um, with invisible conditions to really bring more awareness with how people are seen 
with these conditions um, in a virtual world where they can, you know, augment what these avatars look like. So it's it's really an interesting place where people can choose, uh, pick and choose what parts they want to bring forward and how they're um, and how they're perceived. And then also you can choose to not be perceived, like you're saying, Andy, and ask some of these personal questions that might be embarrassing. Practice some of these situations that you're not confident in so that when you do encounter it IRL, it might be something that you feel a little bit better about. Absolutely. Powerful stuff. Talking of powerful stuff, Kristen, we talked just a bit there about simulation. And simulation takes me to virtual reality, which for a lot of people, they think of gaming and, you know, Oculus Quest headsets, and they are amazing for that. And I urge people to get them because it's good fun. But in the pharma sector, actually, there's a lot of very serious work being done with virtual reality, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, well... Yes. Uh, a few years ago, I mean, we always point to this case study and I mean, this goes back to you, you should strive to be the case study rather than ask for the case study. <laughs> but uh, GSK and Excedrin Migraine, they, they created the Excedrin Migraine experience um, and it was a VOR experience where, you know, loved or folks who were um, struggling with migraines, they felt like their loved ones didn't understand the pain and suffering that they were going through. So GSK made this exper VR experience where a loved one could put on a VR headset and actually see what it's like and, you know, to a degree, feel what it's like to have a migraine. Um, and, you know, what was key to it was coming out of it. They had a communications campaign where they captured ex extraordinary content where the loved one takes off the headset and, ex and shares like how empathetic they feel for their loved one and, and how they misunderstood their symptoms and, you know, they didn't give it the attention that they should have given it. Um, so that's just like a very early example that we always go back to um, in terms of simulation with, with VR, but we've also... You know, in our research scene that, you know, you can simulate surgeries. So you could be helping train um, physicians and med students um, on how to use your med device. Um, you can share a lot of different things through an immersive experience with a VR headset like that. Yeah, there's a story fairly recent, isn't there, of the conjoined twins in Brazil who were conjoined at the head and apparently it was such a incredibly delicate piece of surgery that entirely new surgical techniques were required and surgeons trained in virtual reality for months before actually doing it for real. This is where Liana virtual reality enables people to go on and do things that have never been done before. Absolutely. And it's interesting. We, we read about and, and study how virtual reality can actually stimulate parts of the brain that are stimulated in doing the in real life version of the activity. And so it really brings forth the question of, is there a real difference in doing, you know, a, I'm not going to say a surgery because obviously that has <laughs> broader implications, but say, you know, changing a tire in a virtual simulation versus changing a tire in real life, you're still uh, stimulating the same muscles, you're still firing in the same parts of the brain and storing the same kind of memories. So it really creates a, a powerful opportunity for um, not only healthcare education, but we're seeing virtual reality solutions for pain management, for 
um, ADHD, for post-traumatic stress, all different kinds of neurological conditions that um, there's there's FDA approved products now that leverage virtual reality for treatment. So it's it's a whole vast area that we not only can use for communications, but potentially also to really provide relief to people. Yeah, absolutely. And also overcoming phobias. I've seen a number of activations, um, you know, through exposure therapy um, with needles, um, also heights, things like that. But yeah, there's there are certainly a lot of applications. Yeah, I believe VR. it was used to treat uh, soldiers returning from Afghanistan with PTSD. So yep. powerful stuff. And a great point they made, Liana, about um, the part of the brain being stimulated because I remember um, uh, reading about and then hearing from someone who was using uh, virtual reality to train quarterbacks in American football. Um, and he pointed out that it works because the brain doesn't differentiate between the virtual environment and the real environment. So what you learn in VR, you are learning for real, which is exactly the point you were, you were making. So there's such an incredible opportunity to train people, perhaps in parts of the world where equipment isn't available, right? Absolutely. And, you know, even beyond training, even to simpler things like you and I interacting in the workplace, we're all getting this Zoom fatigue, right? Everyone's saying, okay, I, I put on VR goggles. I'm still remote. I'm still not in person. Well, you're able with this technology to actually trick your brain into thinking you're having an in real life interaction. And that can help with some things like Zoom fatigue, like isolation and loneliness, and help people feel like they're having more of a dynamic 3D um, conversation with someone where your body language is actually mirrored in this space and you can pick up on the things that we normally pick up on in person, just like energy shifts and, you know, seeing how someone's reacting to you talking. Um, so it, it really, the ability to make the brain feel like you are actually in reality rather than virtual reality can have really um, far, far reaching impact. Absolutely. Um, another area, uh, Kristen, that I've, I, I know I think you've spoken about before is this area of telemedicine and, and where we can go with these technologies in that space. Yeah, um, I think there's, I mean, telemedicine adoption obviously went up significantly over the last two years. And I, there are stats around how, you know, I think it's over 50% of patients, they, they want to be with a provider that offers hybrid options um, and they want to stay with someone who will allow them to meet with them virtually. Um, you know, we've seen innovations in this space. Um, and I don't know if you pay attention to CES and, you know, their innovation awards, they just announced maybe last week or two weeks ago. Um, you know, there are companies that are doubling down on this and, you know, one in particular focuses on holograms and, you know, making sure that they sh shorten, the, shorten the, the distance um, and time uh, for for patients and physicians, and they want to make sure that, you know, good care is accessible regardless of where you live. Um, so, you know, by using holograms that are scalable, you can really bring the physician into the room with you and you can have a meaningful conversation with them. Uh, beyond that, I mean, beyond telemedicine, the use of holograms and, and you know, things that 
bring people together and bring that connection virtually can be used for med students. You could bring a, a KOL, a key opinion leader, to a med school and um, you don't have to pay for their travel. And just you, you can offer that accessibility and visibility uh, virtually. Amazing. Yeah, and I think it is important to note too, though, that while there are these digital solutions that create, um, you know, telemedicine can be accessible to more people, especially people that live farther from a large metropolitan area, for example, we do also have to be aware of this digital divide that does exist. And in, you know, creating these digital solutions for healthcare, we, you know, still encourage our clients, you know, you can't, you have to make sure we're, we're focusing on the people that have access to this and are, um, you know, able to get these devices and are comfortable using them. We're not going to switch all of our communications or all of our solutions to digital when a lot of our audience isn't there yet. So it's it's a lot about creating the opportunities, I think, for um, to uplevel those who are there and then building an infrastructure and education um, to help get people to a point where they can use these tools at some point down the line, at some point in the future. Makes perfect sense. So, Liana, we've spoken a lot about how powerful these technologies are when brought to the health sector and the amazing benefits they're having at quite a deep and, and quite a profound level. But what about pharma brands' engagement in these metaverse spaces, perhaps in a marketing sense? Have you seen them being engaged and how could they be engaged in metaverse spaces? Definitely. There's a great example that uh, we saw from Merck. They created a activation in Minecraft around World STEM Day. And it was a custom odyssey, they called it, where people in Minecraft, and Minecraft has a younger audience, so mostly kids, were able to learn about science. And the periodic table of elements was a big part of this, this odyssey they created. And their goal around this activation was inspiring the next generation of STEM scientists and researchers and and doctors um, and, um, you know, pharma <laughs> employees. And that was a really great way that we saw that was organic and purposeful. And yes, Merck's name was on it and they were um, behind it, but it wasn't promotion for promotion's sake. It was creating an experience. It was um, a fun way to engage their key audience. And it was in a place where their audience already was. So they integrated within, you know, this very popular world instead of just building something and trying to drive people there, which would create another another barrier to entry. So that's that's one example where we saw a, a pharma company really creating a very, a very cool engagement. Another example is less around the uh, company, just a corporate promotion, but um, closer to a condition-specific activity. And Pfizer created in Grand Theft Auto, of, of all games, um, a COVID-specific integration. In um, It was out of Brazil, and they created a vaccine experience where you could actually go get your character in GTA vaccinated for COVID in the game. And the call to action was to post a picture of your avatar in the game with, you know, they got a little Band-Aid kind of sticker that showed they were vaccinated to take a picture of your character in the game with a picture of yourself in real life um, showing that you got vaccinated and to post that on social media. 
And of course, you know, Pfizer was one of the big vaccine makers for COVID and um, they were, you know, had their branding around the the experience in the game. So again, this is another way that the company is able to put themselves into one of these metaverse spaces in a really organic way that makes sense. Um, you know, they're not just slapping up a billboard and and calling it a day. And that's something that we really, really talk to pharma clients about. It's it's finding the right space for the right reason and doing it in a way that creates value. Authenticity is so important in these spaces, isn't it? Absolutely. It's everything because, you know, consumers, we talk about this all the time in spaces other than healthcare. Consumers are smart. Consumers are are critical. They can smell a gimmick and add a mile away. So unless you're um, being collaborative with these consumers or these patients and saying, you know, we want to do something for you, we want to do something with you. Um, and unless you're, you know, putting in the work to find doing the research to find the right place for people and what they really want, it's it's going to it's going to, you know, be flagged by these people immediately as something that's just another another brand trying to get their name out there. So we we really emphasize, especially because, you know, when you get into the the metaverse space, there's this idea of, um, you know, everything being stored forever on the blockchain. So especially in kind of a permanent world, you really want to be purposeful with with how you, you know, leave your mark. Yeah. And you absolutely do not want to be seen as someone who's throwing something out as like a flash in the pan. So we always say start with community and the community's needs. Um, could that be, you know, an annual, you know, sponsoring an annual fundraiser? There are a number of fundraisers like uh, Twitch marathons, things like that, where, you know, you could be a sponsor of these communities while they try to raise awareness for their rare disease. Uh, there are different ways, you know, to help elevate the work that they're already doing and do it on an annual basis and, and be, you know, a constant presence uh, for these communities. It's interesting because there are sectors where um, it's very easy just to do something um, just fun, slightly <laughs> flippant perhaps. Um, and in fact, you could sit in a room and have a dozen ideas in as many minutes. Uh, with pharma, it does need to be rooted somewhat, somewhat more um, in, the, in the situation, if you like, and, or to the product that we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. We did a lot of research coming out of ASCO, which is a major oncology uh, medical meeting uh, in June. And, you know, a lot of the feedback on, on Twitter at the time from physicians, because they do tweet a lot during these medical meetings, is that, you know, they're, they're sick of pharma companies, you know, just throwing out gimmicks. They want actual value. So if you are bringing, you know, uh, an immersive experience to them, really offer education, offer something of value to them. It can be fun. We call it edutainment. Um, but just make sure you're doing something that isn't just selling yourself and, and you're doing something to add value to their experience. Uh, so, Leanna, when we talk about Metaverse with, uh, with big brands, there's a lot of enthusiasm um, to get involved and a, and a lot of drive to look at different areas. But the the whole space is quite broad um, with a number of kind of different elements to it. How do you begin? Where do you start 
looking at a kind of metaverse with a small M with a brand that comes to you looking to get involved? So we love when a brand comes to us to get involved and they that's all they they have. They don't have a specific, you know, my daughter told me Roblox is where we should be and this is what we want to do there. We prefer really when a brand is like, hey, we understand the importance of getting ahead of this new space, of being involved in this new shift in technology. How should we do this? Because we really think the first thing that you need to do is that research, is that social listening to figure out, you know, if they, you know, they do have a key audience in mind, generally figuring out where that audience is, what kind of ways they want to be engaged and where the white space is for us. And that's how we like to come to a tactic after first, you know, getting to our insight and strategy. It's a lot harder to back into um, a campaign when we are already told, you know, we, you know, created this video, we need to put it somewhere. That's a little more challenging. It can be done, but really we see the most impactful and um, memorable campaigns and activations coming from when you're able to first assess the unmet need and then decide how best to to fit into that space. So understand your audience and your need. It's quite reassuringly grounded, really. Yes. You know, when you when you put it that way, it, it's it's so simple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are so many learnings from, you know, the past decade and the work that we do in social media and, and you know, how we approach channels. It's it's very similar. So, um, you know, people say pharma was really slow to take to social, but, you know, we've learned so much over the last decade that we can bring to creating solutions for the next phase of the Internet. And we would approach it in a very simil similar way. You know, you, you put, you do the research, you put together audience profiles, you understand, you know, their consumption, <laughs> media consumption and, and behaviors and things like that. And then you put together a channel strategy. And this is, this is another channel. And of course, these channels are, are developing, aren't they? They're evolving all the time and will continue to evolve. Even once people have stopped saying Web3 and Metaverse, they're just part of the landscape. While they're evolving, does that provide challenges in terms of um, regulatory issues and things like this, particularly in such a heavily regulated space as, as pharma? Well, I will say, I mean, to your point that, you know, people will stop saying metaverse and things like that. I will say like the last year, and I'm actually going to point back to one of your earlier episodes. I was very excited to see that you guys had uh, Kathy Hagel, the is she the godmother of the metaverse? She was on, <laughs> uh, like huge flex to have her on, but she was talking about, you know, the last year was all about defining what the metaverse is and she's, she's over it. She's over defining it. Like, let's move on. We're, we're in that hype cycle where, you know, it, we had inflated expectations last year. We're now kind of in that like disillusionment space. There's naysayers saying like, oh, the metaverse isn't coming, but now we're like moving into this phase of productivity where we can really dig in and build. I think we can, a lot of our learnings from, you know, being first movers in social and making sure, you know, like selling in different social platforms, you know, every day Leanna and I and our team are working to put together, you know, documents to get approved by regulatory teams to make sure that we can activate on different social platforms. We can now do that um, for, you know, the concepts that we put together for Web3. 
So we're now in this phase of, you know, moving beyond what is this thing? What is it? What is it? And actually creating it. And we can do that together. Um, of course, yes, there's always going to, in the pharma space, it's a very a highly regulated space. Um, you know, you may have very risk averse clients, but I, I am very optimistic because, you know, we have seen over the last year through education, but also, you know, pharma companies have started to hire a lot of very digital savvy um, brand managers and digital leads who want to, they have said to us, I want to be the first X, Y, and Z in the metaverse. I want to be the case study. Like that is so exciting to hear. Um, so they're looking for ways <clears throat> to partner with us to make that happen. And, you know, the steps that you, you have to take are, are very similar to that of, you know, when you're trying to activate on social, um, you know, you got to do your concept reviews, you need to work hand in hand with your MLR reviewers and make sure they feel comfortable with what you're putting together. You need to take into consideration data privacy, moderation, um, all, compliance, all of those things. Um, but, you know, we're very optimistic that we can make these things happen in the next year. Amazing, Definitely. which is also a, a brilliant segue, Eliana, into kind of the last question around this, which is for companies who are evaluating or considering a, a metaverse strategy, what kind of advice would you have for them? I, I'm guessing experimentation is probably a large part of this. Yeah, experimentation, um, starting with research, like we've said, and identifying the unmet need first and letting that really guide you to what is going to be most meaningful for your brand and for your audience. And also it all comes back to community. I really think that what we've seen is in this new wave of the internet with this new rising um, you know, generation of developers and video game gamers. I sound so old saying that, <laughs> gamers. Uh, <laughs> is that people want to be involved. They really do want it to be a community. It's it's really been a shift in the brand tells you what you want and what you should think to the brand works hand in hand with their audience to create something that will work for everyone. We really see the, the best um, outcomes from when there's consultation with in healthcare, for example, with a patient advocacy group where we get live um, feedback and product testing from the people that this is actually being made for. And the same thing will go in the metaverse is as it's being developed, like you said, you know, working hand in hand with the people that are going to be interacting in it every day to make sure that this is evolving to meet what they want. And it's true to the spirit of, of the the world we're interacting in and that we're always being open to listening to our audience first and foremost, rather than, you know, acting like we know better than them. Yeah, and the only other thing I would add to that, agree uh, with everything Leanna just said, but, you know, once you identify that white space and need and work with those teams, I would say establish st strategic partnerships, you know, have a team and that team can include the patients, uh, but also you know, focus on your core competencies, but then let your partners bring their best and brightest to the table too, because collaboration is so key to innovation and, and evolution. And if you try to build every <clears throat> capability under the sun, it's going to take so much longer. 
And, you know, we've seen this in action over the last two years, you know, through the development of vaccines. Like, that would not have happened without collaboration um, from all different, you know, areas. Um, so if you build a team and, like, a workforce to try to make something happen, you can definitely make it happen. What a brilliant place to wrap. Thank you so much, Kristen and Liana. It's amazing, actually, just how uh, dynamic and exciting uh, and diverse that health and pharma sector is. I hope that's been interesting for everybody. Thank you both for coming on board. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, we would ask that you would do us the favor of uh, liking, rating, reviewing, sharing this podcast so that we can get even more listeners. And we hope you will all come back again for the next episode of The Metaverse and More. Thank you for listening to the WPP Metaverse and More Academy podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to learn more about WPP, the creative transformation company, find us at WPP.com or send us a note to newbusiness at WPP.com. That's it for today. We look forward to seeing you in the metaverse.